Welcome to Becoming. This is episode 104, Strategies for Anxiety Resolution with Dr. David T. Morgan. Welcome to Becoming, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. We are your hosts, Tawny Beardall and Erica Peterson. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently, and discover who you really want to become. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited to have you here with us today through some incredibly difficult months and this crazy time that we've all been experiencing, which is unique because we get to experience it all together. But the entire world has been faced with managing their mental health like never before. There is new fears, new isolations, new disconnections, and all of the many things that have come our way as of late are making us look at mental health and anxiety in a whole new light. We did an episode on anxiety a long time ago, and we really wanted to revisit this topic as so many people are understanding this mental health issue now more than ever. And our guest today has a PhD, he's a licensed psychologist, a writer, speaker, and more. We are so grateful for his wisdom on this topic. Dr. David T. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very, very glad to be here. David, we just love your perspective on how spirituality and the gospel can really be our greatest tool in facing these mental health challenges. So I kind of just want to dive right in and ask you, what do you think anxiety is? How would you verbalize that? So anxiety is very, very normal. It's the body's natural response to some sort of threat. If you're getting chased by a bear or something like that, your body is going to react in a way that we call anxiety, where you're going to be able to run faster, your heart's going to beat stronger, you're going to be able to endure longer, and those sorts of things. And so anxiety is a very adaptive response The problem with anxiety and where it becomes a challenge is when we start to react to going into the grocery store like it's a bear attack. The two are not equal in terms of objective threat, but it feels like that, and that's the problem. And so you have people that are absolutely paralyzed by fear because of their perception of what is dangerous. That's the biggest issue with anxiety. Regular, normal amounts of anxiety are very adaptive and they're very helpful. It helps keep us on our toes. When we start to become afraid of things that are not necessarily worthy of that much fear, that's when it becomes a challenge. And that's when we start to talk about it becoming pathological and diagnosable and those sorts of things. Is it different from fear then? Not necessarily. I mean, if you were having anxiety in a moment and then you were having fear 20 minutes later and you talked about your objective physical experiences, you wouldn't describe them as that much different. Right. You know, it, it probably wouldn't feel that different to you, like the difference between you being in a, in a haunted house versus being in a final exam or something like that. Your body is going to be doing probably about the exact same thing in those moments. The haunted house, you'd be like, oh, of course, because it's a haunted house. That's why I'm scared, those sorts of things. With the test, you might be like, why do I feel this way? Other people don't feel this way. I shouldn't have test anxiety, those sorts of things. You know, that guy over there looks like he's doing just fine. Why am I panicked? So mm-hmm. I think anxiety carries with it a little more stigma because oftentimes we feel like I shouldn't be feeling this way. 
so then we kind of pile on this maybe guilt or other emotions of disapproval where we feel like this is wrong to feel this way. And that's one of the things that we'll talk about a little bit later. Our, our emotions aren't wrong. We get them. We just have them. What's often wrong is our perceptions of things. And so we'll talk yeah. about how our perceptions can kind of change the way we feel. And I've heard you say before, it's having anxiety about getting anxiety. <laughs> and that just is a compounding problem that is hard to really pull apart and dissect in your brain. Like, why is this happening? So why do you think many people let it affect them more than others? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I don't know if there's a really great answer for it. Just like how come some people... Um, can seem to be able to stay in shape all the time and other people can't. You know, how come some people yeah. have this positive attitude and other people are chronically depressed? I think it's just kind of the way that we're built sometimes. You know, you talk about our purpose here in mortality, and I think we each come with our signature weakness. And if you were to look at our, our heavenly plan, and, and there are going to be things on there that are going to be very specific to you where you may not struggle with some things like why do some people just kind of go through life and they don't have a lot of financial problems, you know, and other people are like chronically, you know, underpaid and poor and stuff like that. I think a lot of it just has to do with the types of things that we are intended to go through in this life. And the Lord gives us weakness so that we can learn to overcome that. It's not very helpful when we start cross comparing weaknesses. Well, how come you don't have this weakness? Because we all have something. If we all laid it out on the table we'd probably each have about the same amount of weakness. It would just be organized in different ways. Great answer to a difficult question. <laughs> Very good. I think that really kind of answers some of my thoughts that I kind of had about, you know, how do we understand this? If, if somebody hasn't had these feelings, how do they better understand and have empathy for people? And I think that really helps answer the question is just understanding that we all have different struggles but understanding what they're really feeling and going through is helpful. So what are some of those marked feelings that people have with anxiety and also kind of understanding maybe heightened anxiety and panic attacks, anxiety attacks? Can you help us understand what those are and what that means? Sure. If you talk about anxiety attack and panic attack, it's really just a question of semantics. There's really not a difference in the clinical literature there's no such thing as an anxiety attack. It's called a panic attack. And these are situations where they last anywhere from like five to 10 minutes and the anxiety kind of hits a crescendo and then eventually will fall off and they, they sweat, their breathing is heavy. Sometimes they'll get chills. Sometimes they'll feel nauseated, all those sorts of things. But it's a fairly time-limited sort of thing. If you have a panic attack that you think lasts for 10 hours, you're probably not having a panic attack because just by definition, they're, they're somewhat short, but they can happen repeatedly. You could have, you know, five panic attacks a day or something like that. They're very unpleasant. People often thinking they're having a heart attack. Yeah. They have a panic attack and they'll go to the hospital and say, I think I had a heart attack. There's a way you can check for heart attacks. There's something in the bloodstream after you have a heart attack. And half the time they're like, well, you didn't have a heart attack because you don't have that stuff in your blood. So it must have been a panic attack. There's different types of anxiety. One of the other more common ones is called generalized anxiety disorder. And this is just kind of a, kind of a constant state of anxiety. It may not have that, that huge uh, peak like panic attacks do, but it's just kind of this underlying feeling of, of dread and that things aren't going to work out, which is probably more damaging in the long run. Anxiety is designed to run 
for short periods of time. That's the way the body is designed to handle it. Like if you're escaping from a bear, right? You don't have to escape from a bear for 10 hours. You can't mm-hmm. either escape or you're dead, right? I mean, there's only two choices in running from a bear. That system that kicks in to kind of help the body adapt to these threats is designed to be run for short periods of time. It's like, like a car engine, for example. Um, if you have to rev your engine to go really fast, that's fine. You know, if you have to, you know, if you're redlining and hitting 8,000 RPMs, that's going to be fine. If you run that car at 8,000 RPMs for 12 hours a day, that's going to damage the vehicle over yeah. time, right? Because it's not meant to run that high. It's supposed to run right around two to 3,000, kind of this little normal range. And people with generalized anxiety disorder are kind of running that engine at that 8,000 RPM all day long. And so eventually it kind of takes a toll on the body. I've noticed with myself, it's more of feeling a lack of control is when the anxiety starts to really kick in. So do you have any specific tools, and maybe this gets more into talking about our thoughts, Mm -hmm. but tools that we can use that are tangible to help us avoid getting that feeling of like letting it get to that place of anxiety rather than just constructive reasoning? Yeah, absolutely. And, And you're right, that does get kind of into the idea of our thoughts and our perceptions about things. That's probably the most important thing to understand about our feelings is that they're always precipitated by our thoughts. Our thoughts create our feelings. And sometimes we say, well, I didn't have any thoughts. I just feel this way. Well, you did. You did have thoughts. You just don't recognize them. Sometimes they happen very, very automatically. And before we know it, we're feeling these feelings and we're like, what the heck? And half the time, that's what therapy is about is you go into therapy and you sit down and say, okay, what were you thinking before that? Or let's keep a a log of your thoughts And almost every time you'll start to see these different perceptions that kind of build up to this anxiety response. There's a really great example in the New Testament of when the Savior and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, this huge storm comes and the Savior is asleep on the boat. They were real people. You know, Mm -hmm. they were just like us. They had real emotions. And so you've got these apostles on there who are very good mariners. This tempest starts and it's just getting worse and worse. And the Savior is just completely asleep through the whole thing. I mean, the waves are crashing, they're bailing out water, and he's over there sleeping. And at some point, they're going, we got to wake him up. What, what do we do? I can't believe he's asleep through this. The ship is listing back and forth, taking on water, and he's over there asleep. So finally, they wake him up and saying, you know, don't you care that we're dying? Carest thou not that we perish? He's like, you guys woke me up for this. Immediately calms the storm with just a word, and he kind of chastises them for their lack of faith. So what's the difference? Why is the Savior asleep when the rest of the apostles are freaking out and it goes back to their thoughts? They're thinking, we're going to die. Well, if you think you're going to die, if you think you're going to drown, that's worthy of anxiety. You should feel anxious. You should get to work and do something about that. What was the Savior thinking? I'm not going to die. I don't die here. You know, I die on the cross about a year and a half from now. That's where I die. On top of that, I can tell these waves to stop whenever I want. So zero anxiety because of the way that he perceived the situation. And if they had thought, hey, we're with the Savior. There's no way that we're going down in this storm, then they'd have probably slept too. Because they'd have thought, there's no way this storm takes us down. When we start to have anxiety about things, we need to back up and think, okay, what, what's going on here? What am I thinking about? What am I worried about? What is happening? And, and what's my perception of that? And is that perception accurate? Because if the perception is inaccurate, it's a legitimate emotion, 
but we should really focus and try to make sure that our thoughts are based in, in kind of reason and objectiveness as much as we can. Once you identify those initial thoughts, what can you do to help bring reason into it? Because you may recognize, well, this is what got me started feeling anxious. What tools can you use when you recognize that thought to help get that reason back into your thoughts? Right. That's a great question. The answer is it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. So for example, if you decided I'm going to lose weight, okay, well, what do you do? You have to start eating well and you have to start exercising and you can't do that for an afternoon. You got to do it over and over and over again for weeks and months and even years sometimes. And if you do that, then you start to notice some significant benefit. If you tried diet and exercise for three hours and said, well, I've been on a diet for three hours yeah. and I did 20 push-ups, and I'm still the same weight, this doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> well, it totally works, but it takes a long time. If, if you've just had like all that chronic anxiety, you stop and you think, okay, wait a minute, what's going on? Let me think about this. I'm worried that my situation is going to crumble into oblivion and I'm going to be homeless and destitute. And you say, well, let me think about that. That's probably unlikely because my parents would be able to help me in that situation. I have some really good friends that would take me in and I'd probably never be homeless. You see, you kind of create some more objective thought around that. Three hours later, you're not going to be fixed of anxiety, especially if you've been thinking that way for 20 or 30 years. So every time that anxiety comes back, you have to stop. Wait, okay, wait, hold on, back it up. Okay, what's going on here? It's that same old thought again. Okay, what's the truth? Okay, I'm going to tell myself the truth again. It's an iterative process where you have to go kind of back and forth, retraining your brain to think differently about those things. And the good news is the more that you think something, the easier it is to think. And that's why people often have chronic anxiety because they've been having anxiety thoughts for 20 years their brain thinks anxiety thoughts very, very yeah. easily. They introduce objective thought and the brain's like, whoa, what's this? This isn't the way we operate. We don't think this way. We think anxiously. But if you start introducing those objective thoughts every day, day after day after day after day, then your brain goes, oh, maybe this is the new way. So the answer is it's a simple process, but it just takes a long time. So don't get discouraged. It's like diet and exercise. It takes more than three hours. It takes more than a day or a week or something like that. It works. It just takes a lot of consistent effort. I absolutely agree with that. I know it's completely possible to totally retrain your brain to do that. I've seen it with myself. But also, I think it's important to note that our brains always pick the path of least resistance. And when you have thought this way for 20 years, it's going to be automatic to go down that road. But you have the amazing creative brain that can choose the other if you make the effort to do so. But also, I want to know if you have studied much about breathing techniques. It's one of the only systems in our bodies that we actually can control. We know we can't really control how fast our heart beats, but we can control the breathing. And I think that has a great effect on anxiety as well. Absolutely. That, that's one of, the, one of the best things you can do. It's a temporary measure. The thoughts are where it's at, that set of thoughts in your brain that generates anxiety. And so if you're having anxiety in a moment and you intentionally try to slow down your breathing, it's really hard to be anxious with taking these deep breaths Breathing is an effective momentary technique, and absolutely you should do it, but it's not going to be the permanent solution. You're not just going to breathe your way out of chronic anxiety. Yes. It'll help in the moment. and may even be as helpful as certain medications in the moment, 
but eventually you have to change the way you think about things. Sure. So it sounds like changing your thinking is the antidote, but using these breathing techniques or possibly medication like you spoke of is more of a tool to help you learn how to manage that as you're learning to retrain how you think. Yeah, it'd be like, it'd be like if you were at the, the gym and you had a personal trainer and she helps you when you're you know, lifting weights and stuff, you know, and so she's your spotter, you know, and so maybe there's a bench press you're doing that's just, it's just too heavy. You can only do two or three reps, but with her help, you can do five, you know, that sort of thing. So that's kind of, that's like breathing and, and certain medications. To me, it's kind of like the spotter. It's like, okay, this is going to help you, but you still have to work as hard as you can. Yeah. And, and that's, that's oftentimes the problem I see with medication. And I don't mean to knock medication at all because it's very, very helpful. The problem with medication is if it's the only thing that we're doing, then it's less likely to be effective. Yes. It's almost always more effective when combined with therapy and you know, changing your thoughts and stuff like that, particularly with anxiety and depression. Uh, medication is, is really just about maybe 30% of the recipe there. You have to work as hard as you can. Otherwise, combine those two and you're going to get pretty amazing results, but either on their own uh, is less effective. What would be your best advice for finding a good counselor? So my best advice for, having, for finding a good counselor is to shop around and find someone you like. The best predictor of a positive outcome in counseling is that you have a good relationship with the counselor. They've oh, studied all sorts of things, training, education, experience, clinical leanings, all those sorts of things. And none of it seems to make any difference. But people say, you know, I really liked my counselor. And that tends to predict positive outcome as opposed to those who said, yeah, he was fine, or oh, I didn't like him at all, then that tended to predict either zero progress or sometimes even negative outcomes. Yeah, so you're so the just consumer. keep looking. That, that yeah, makes so looking. much sense. Exactly. Like you're shopping for a car. Don't just get the first one you hop into. Try a few. See what you like. Love that. I want to step back to where you were talking about these people who have had these thoughts for 20 plus years. I think that kind of resonates to me the importance of addressing this at younger ages. So our teens, our young adults, I know there has been a marked rise in anxiety in teens, in young people. I am not sure the cause of this, but we have seen that whether we're understanding it more as a society or we truly are having a rise in anxiety in people, it's something that is really critical to address at a younger age so that you're not thinking these types of thoughts for years and years and years without help. I think that so many people think, you know, I'm just going to be able to take care of this all on my own. I should be able to take care of it all on my own. But really looking at how your brain is working. And I love the idea of it being a recipe of help, you know, not just medication, but medication along with therapy and all the things that are necessary to really help you think in a more healthy way. So I really, I just wanted to kind of touch on that because I think this is so crucial for young people to watch very carefully and to not be afraid of getting help because down the road, you're going to have a much more difficult time than if you get help when you're younger. So I think that's super crucial. Yeah, it's, it's really, really critical for our teens to get help and not to be afraid of help. Go talk to someone about this. It's no big deal. 
is anxiety more prevalent now than it has been in the past? Are we just tracking it more? Are we just more aware? Part of the answer is that maybe we are more aware of it, but I also think that maybe it is more prevalent now. And one of the reasons I think that is because our Father in Heaven, He knows that we need difficulties in life to kind of push against. Every generation before this generation has had really hard things to deal with. You only have to go back like 150 years and people were farming untamed prairies. And, and we don't have any of that right now. Our lives are so cushy, for lack of a better word. We, we just don't have as much difficulty if our loving Heavenly Father says, well, what can I do for the 2020 generation to help them? I can't make them pull hand carts anymore. And they can't really farm, you know, even if they do that, they got tractors now, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that sort of thing. What can I do? Well, here's something. Here's mental health, which is going to challenge them like my previous children have been challenged. And so when I think about it that way, then I say, well, maybe it isn't this massive tragedy. Maybe this is, maybe this is my handcart. Maybe this is my farm. Maybe this is my plague. It's my chance to, to learn and to grow and to become better, which is the whole point of this life. I think for teenagers especially, it's okay to have these feelings. It's not okay to not do anything about them. You know, at some point, you have to make a change. But these feelings are not unnatural. You're not broken. You're not cursed. This could just be your particular struggle that you have to go through in order to become a better person. That's great. And I think it makes it sound like something you can conquer, something you can put your gloves on and get to work with rather than this is just something that I have to deal with and I don't know how. So I feel like you've really given us great tools to understand that we can manage these feelings and we can come out on top and feeling a lot better. So if you could just sum up in simple steps, the best way to manage anxiety, what would that be, David? So I think there's definitely some things we can do. And, and we've talked about them kind of all along throughout the podcast, but we'll just summarize them here. The first one is to just normalize the feeling. And when I say that, I, what I'm trying to say is it's okay. It's okay to have anxiety. We talked earlier about having anxiety, about having anxiety. Please, please stop doing that. It's like, you know, your backpack's already heavy enough. You're putting 10 more pounds in it that doesn't even need to be there. If you can say, it's okay for me to have anxiety, then you just have your normal level of anxiety, not that additional anxiety about thinking that that something is wrong. So normalizing that experience and just saying, it's okay to feel this way. Number two is to, and I said to adjust your expectations. And what I mean by that is understanding that it could take a little while to deal with this. And that's okay. So if you can say, Number one, it's okay for me to feel this way. Number two, I can fix this, but it's going to take some time and effort on my part. Then that's different than saying there's nothing I can do about this or it's someone else's fault. We have to take responsibility for our own change, regardless of how we got to the situation. Even if they may have been caused primarily by others, the solution is in us. Yeah. Um, and And then we have to be kind of start to become aware of our thinking. I think most people are not very aware of their thinking. It's a skill. Journaling can be very, very helpful in that. Saying, you know, what did I experience today? What was I thinking about today? Those sorts of things. And you'll start to notice patterns. If you journal for a few months, you'll start to find out, whoa, every time I have these certain thoughts, 
I have anxiety. And so you start to look at those thoughts and you think, well, what, what is it about these thoughts? What is it? And then, and then you usually find some sort of subtext to those thoughts that is a belief that is not necessarily accurate. Yeah, so those are the three things. That is a perfect way to summarize some tools that we can use to help manage our anxiety. Thank you so much for so much wonderful information. I just was going to ask, how can we use the Savior and the Atonement to help us with anxiety as well? So there's two ways that we can use the Savior's Atonement to help manage anxiety. And the first is to understand what's called the enabling power of of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. And that is the truth that not only did he suffer for our sins, he went through our experiences as well. He knows what it's like to have cancer. He knows what it's like to lose a child. You know, it's just, and I don't know how he knows that, but that was part of his atonement, was to experience all those things on our behalf. So everything that you're going through, he already gets it 100%. And not just because he's like, oh yeah, I've heard about that. He literally went through it. And so he knows your anxiety. And so, and so he can help you through that. The other thing is, is to expand your idea of the uh, concept of repentance. And repentance is not just for sins. It's not just like, well, I stole something from the grocery store, so I have to repent. Well, yeah, we do have to repent for that. But repentance is the process of just going from what we are right now to becoming like God. And so everything that we need to change to become like our Heavenly Father is part of the repentance process. When we become less anxious, we're repenting. Hmm. We don't kind of view it that way, but we are, because I don't think God is anxious. I think that in order to become like Him, we have to get rid of anxiety. We have to get rid of depression. We have to get rid of low self-esteem and anger and hostility and racism and everything else, right, that plagues us as a people. And repentance is the vehicle for that. So I think if we went to our Father in Heaven and said, hey, teach me how to do this, help me do this, then the Savior's atonement becomes critical because it's the vehicle that makes repentance possible, the vehicle that makes change possible. So everything is about His atonement. There's nothing in our lives that does not get better through His atonement. So always, always reach out to Him. He knows you, He loves you, and He has complete power to get you where you need to be, which will probably involve a lot of work on your part but that's okay. That, that's what you want. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that answer. It's not something that's wrong that makes you a bad person. It's just something we need help changing and being able to utilize the atonement in that way is such a beautiful thing. Before we wrap up, we do want to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. If you could tell your teenage self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, man. I would tell myself it's going to be okay. Uh, it, it's going to be okay that my the difficulties and trials that I'm going through are normal, that I can overcome them with uh, through my own efforts and combined with the help of others, particularly my Father in Heaven. And, and I, would tell, I would tell myself that Heavenly Father loves me so much that He's not going to let me down. He's going to get me through this stuff. And it doesn't mean that, you're not, that I'm not going to struggle along the way but things are going to work out in the end. I, I really, really believe that. When I listen to uh, the prophets and the leaders of the church, they're always so positive. They're like, everything's going to work out. And I think they're right. Yeah. I, I know they're right. I think Heavenly Father is optimistic, and he, he should be, because He loves us, and the Savior loves us, and they have all power to help us. 
and to fix everything. So why shouldn't we be optimistic? We travel a rough road for a little while, but that's okay. We'll get there. That is awesome, David. And once you find your teen self and tell him that, go find mine because that's some (laughs) advice I really could have used too. I really love that. Thank you so much for your time, David. You are just full of wisdom and I'm so excited we've gotten to know you and have all of your resources available to us and our listeners. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to talk with you both. And and I appreciate so much all you're doing for the youth out there. They need someone in their corner and you two are in their corner. So thank you. Thank you. For all of our listeners, we always include the links in the show notes to connect with our guests and to learn more from Dr. David T. Morgan, you can visit his website at ldspsychologist.com. And he has a amazing book that goes so great with this topic called Peace Be Unto You. You can find the links for the book at his website, or you can look for it on Amazon. If you've been looking for a phone for your teen, but want to help them manage having a personal device before moving on to managing the entire internet and endless apps available on a smartphone, you need to check out Gab Wireless. They've created a phone that looks like a smartphone, has all of the essential apps you want for your teen, but doesn't cost an arm and a leg, and keeps the non-essential features completely unavailable. With just 14 essential apps, it's the best of both worlds. A phone with everything a kid needs with none of the stuff they don't. If two out of three adults show signs of phone addiction, we can't expect kids to develop healthy phone habits on their own. If you want to learn more, just click on the affiliate link in the show notes to help support the podcast and to learn more and use the code becoming to get $10 off.